0: Today is August 11th, 2020, and you are listening to Sam Walking in the World, Episode 8. I have a lot to talk about today. Um, So what I'm going to do is, I think I have too much, so I'm going to chunk it. I'm going to put my teacher hat on here for a quick sec. Okay? Chunking is the teacher word that we use to decide how big a bunch of stuff you want to teach at a time. So that it's not too much and overwhelms the kids, but it's not so small that you have more time that you didn't use. So I'm going to chunk this, and um, and I decided which parts of it I'm going to do and which parts of it I'm going to save for later. So today I'm going to talk about uh, some stupid stuff, um, some uh, happiness hints. I'm going to talk about uh, being on time and uh, and leaving it like you found it. And then um, my larger stuff. I'm going to talk about. Um, I'm going to talk about something kind of uh, logical. I mean, you might say it's philosophical, but um, I'll just call it. Uh, There's a dragon in my garage, and I can't take credit for that. That comes from Carl Sagan, but you'll understand what I mean when I talk about it. And then uh, and I'm going to talk about my place in the group dynamic. Where do I fit into the group dynamic? What effect do I have on it? In various ways that occur in everyday life. So, okay, getting back to um, the stupid stuff. First of all, you ever notice people feel the need, I felt it too, to um, categorize? I think we sometimes we oversimplify when we categorize. And it's just a natural inclination because it, it makes things easier for us to accept. To kind of understand. But a lot of times we... we um, we put things in categories out of our own convenience, not uh, not whether or not they belong there. Um, like, uh, like I was a I was a good athlete when I was when I was younger, and um, but I was also a pretty good writer. And I, I was kind of for people that didn't know me, I was just kind of that, Sam, the hockey player. And then I, I think that that kind of for for people that were like in the higher level classes, that made them feel comfortable because I was just a jock. And then when they discovered that I could write, I think it kind of disrupted their organizational system and they didn't know a category to put me in. But that's neither here nor there. But So I, I, I think we should be careful when we do, when decide to put things in categories. And one of the things I notice all the time is that people will start explaining something to you, something to you by saying this. There are two kinds of people. People who and people who and it's like I don't know. If the world can be divided into two categories on, on an issue. I feel like some, sometimes there's a spectrum, um, but uh, I, I'm going to say it <laughs> when when I get to uh, my place in the group. I'm going to say I'm going to say there are two kinds of people. So get ready for my hypocrisy. But first, stupid stuff. Um, I, I buy medication like Tylenol, um, Imodium AD. If you must know. Um, and I I always choose the generic brand because it's cheaper. And but when you read the when you read the um, labels, you see that like it'll say you know compare to Tylenol if it's just uh, a acetamin, uh, generic acetaminophen like Walgreens acetaminophen compared to Tylenol. And I think to myself, well, how does how can Tylenol continue to exist if so, if something at least a dollar or so cheaper? Can give you the same exact medical chemistry, and effect, and it's cheaper. Like, how, how does Tylenol end up winning that battle? And and I think I discovered how. And maybe I'm like the last one to discover this. So, um, but I'm I'm, I'm escaping my ignorance on this. They get you in the packaging. They get you in the packaging, like. Just if you notice it, if you bought a, if you bought a, a, a little box, you know, say I don't know, t- twenty pills or forty pills, not the bottle, or actually even the bottle, but for the sake of this, just the the box, little box. If you bought a, what, one of Tylenol and one of Walgreens acetaminophen, and then you just observed yourself opening both of them to get one pill out, you would realize how much more ease. There is to to take the pill out of the talafel bottle. I mean the no, box. <clears throat> it's like um, it's like when you open up the 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 um generic one. It's like right away you can tell the paper's different, so like it's harder to get your fingernail underneath that corner, so you can get just barely get started, and then you can start to rip open toward the pill. The paper always just rips. It never rips all the way to the pill. It rips like halfway. And So now you don't even have like a, a, a little bit sticking up, so you can get your thumbnail in there and get a little bit of leverage. You can't now. You gotta probably have to go get scissors, which I'm, I've advised before. But on this, it's designed so that you can open it with your hand, but you can't. Whereas if you open up the Tylenol one, it they've they've sprung for the that thin, um, smooth, like aluminum foil kind of. It goes over the top, and you just push the back of the pill with your finger, and it pops straight out through the. Aluminum foil. You don't get that when you buy the generic brand. Probably because it costs more. Um, And sometimes there's a coating on the pill that makes it a little bit easier as well. But I I don't really care about that. But, man, some generic medicines make you work your butt off in order to be able to get the pill. And I think sometimes it's worth spending the extra dollars just to be able to go pop. But that's me. And that's, of course, stupid. Um, I was also thinking, too, I took the, the dog. My dog's name is Sadie. By the way, S-A-D-I-E. We went for a walk this morning like we usually do. And, uh, and we got done. And usually we'll like lay on the grass in the front yard because she wants to bite on my sweatshirt sleeves for a while. It gives her some kind of satisfaction, so I do it. Um, but um, my, my dog really loves me. and I, It's a really good feeling. And I think part of the reason why my dog loves me is because I'm a really conscientious dog petter. Petting dogs conscientiously like some people just if you watch it who pet a dog will just they'll just drag their hand back and forth across the top of the dog's back like that that's their only move the dog kind of likes it but like when you're if, if you actually do it conscientiously and you get get behind the ears a little bit and you get on the top of the head a little bit Maybe the sides of the face. Maybe the dog relaxes and sits down. You can rub the dog's belly. I go full out, though. I'll, like, I'll like, work the arm all the way up to the tip of the hoof, to the hoof. I almost said hoof. Paw. And I'll kind of put my thumb inside the paw a little bit and put some pressure. And I'll do it on the other arm. It's like a full body massage. I, I kind of actually follow the the you know, regimen of a normal person giving a body massage. And it must just be true for all creatures because the dogs freaking love it. And uh, it does calm them down. And I think that is part of the reason why. So next time you're petting your dog, think about whether or not you're doing it conscientiously. You know, if you're going to do it, do it right. Like you have that person or or those few people that you know give an awesome back rub. And, you know, it's because they're doing it conscientiously. I know, I I, I mean, I don't, some people just, I don't want to, I don't want to talk down my wife, but. She does a little bit on the neck, kind of pinching a little bit on the neck. And, uh, you know, it's nice, but it's kind of like doing scratching the dog just across the top of the back. Um, but when someone does it right and they get the thumbs deep into your back at the bottom and they work their way up, you can tell they got a process. Like, oh, well, this guy knows what he's doing. Oops, I said guy. That's okay. This person knows what he's doing. And uh, it really feels better. It makes a difference. So you got to be in the moment when you're giving somebody a back rub or a dog. Okay, uh, moving on. I um I talked about diversity in the last episode, episode seven, and um, I hope it didn't step on anybody's toes, but that's it's that's how I feel about it. And I wanted to add a little bit something to it, um because diversity is a good thing, you know it is a good thing. And there's something funny that I noticed about um, college catalogs. I don't know if you've Noticed it, too. Maybe you know where I'm going with this, but um, the college catalog covers, I mean, almost without fail, have a representative from each racial group. And and they have um, boys and girls. And I guess now they have transgender and binary people. Non-binary, probably, but I'm not sure how you'd be able to notice them in the picture. Um, I think it would be a little bit uh, discriminatory to suggest that you can. (laughs) But anyway, um, there's always like an Asian, another Asian from a different Asian country, um, someone that looks like they might be Arabic, um, someone who looks like they might be Hispanic, I'm an African-American or a person of color, because all African-Americans are not, I mean, all all people of color are not from Africa. I made that mistake uh, in Jamaica. I wanted to be so uh, politically correct, and so I, I referred to someone as African-American, and they were Jamaican, and they did not like it. They believed me. They did not like it. Not that there's anything against, they had anything against African-Americans, but it was kind of an, uh, an affront to their own heritage. And I think it's from our perspective, we try to not say say black sometimes, so we say African American, and so they're not all people of color are not African American. Likewise, all people from Africa are not people of color. People from South Africa are largely white, so they are African American when they come here, and that's kind of an odd twist. But anyway, back to what I was talking about. The cover has, you know, like I said, a white person, uh, some Asians, a Hispanic, uh, a person of color, probably an African American, and then maybe another person of color, Um, uh, maybe a Jamaican, and and um, anyway, men, boys, and girls, whatever. And it made me think, like I went to um, a a local small Catholic college. I'd rather not name things, but um, and and it was not particularly culturally diverse at the time i bet it is now i bet it is now and and it wasn't like it was all white people but but it was mainly white people and on their cover though i remember because i was part of it they asked me to be the white male in it they didn't come and say would you be our white male they said how would you like to be in the cover of the of the student catalog this year i said all right my girlfriend at the time was really pretty so she was the white girl um and um and then there were a bunch of other kids that that were our friends. The school was so small, and so we went and we posted the picture. And I got thinking about it, like, like I had a friend Sarah. Sarah was Korean American, and um, and we just didn't have that many Koreans at the school. And I was seeing, I was looking at us, and I was like, okay, there's six of us, and we have maybe a total of three Korean Americans at our college yet. We have them represented as one-sixth of our population on the cover. And we had a lot of Hispanics, but we did not have one-sixth of our population Hispanic. And so, so sometimes I think in an effort to not leave anybody out or to draw in people from various cultures by saying you're all welcome here, which they were, we kind of over-represent. Whereas if you had done, uh, if you had taken... The student population, and done a random selection, like the way you know people say through the phone book. If you did a random selection, and you choose chose any six people that it landed on. Chances are, all six of them would be white. But in in this day and age, where everything is politically charged, if you put that on the cover, it, you would I bet you would be accused of racism. Even though every all all people are welcome at the school, so that's just kind of a funny thing I noticed. Um, and when we when we push too hard to be politically correct when it comes to culture and race, I think sometimes we go down um, mistaken avenues. I'll put it. Um, okay, we're going to talk about lifey things next. A little bit of uh, a few things that helped me um, adjust to myself and made me feel better. I think it made other people happier with me, and I think maybe respect me a little bit more. But it did something for me. Um, and I, like I said, one of them was being on time and one of them was uh, leaving it like you found it. So, first, being on time. I saw, I think it was in a movie or something once where the father was disappointed in his adult son because he was always late. And, and he arrived at, at like lunch that they had planned. He arrived at the restaurant like 15 minutes late. His father said, If you can be 15 minutes late regularly, why can't you be on time? Like, obviously, you have a way of making sure that you're here 15 minutes after the time we're supposed to be here. Why can't you just adjust it back 15 minutes? Whatever you're doing, be conscious of your habit and go, I'm going to leave 15 minutes earlier than I normally would, and then you can land on time. And I I just see it, some people, it's just so hard. It's hard for some people to leave their house. They'll just walk back into a room for no reason at all before leaving. They have their keys in their hand. And I did it too. I remember I I had a buddy who'd be like, my it was my roommate at the time. He'd be like, Why does it take you so long to leave? What 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 else do you need? And I, I don't know, it was like O C D or what, but I would just I would check things. Like I would sometimes I would just go back and check the stove right to make sure that the gas was off. So I don't know. But the point is when you're on the other end of it. And you're expecting someone to be somewhere, like to pick you up. Um, like in my work now, I there's a person that I pick up practically daily from work. It's just part of my job duties. And I, I, I'm conscious of what time I arrive. And but, but, but from the other end, from the person waiting for, depending really on the person to be there on time, it matters. Two minutes matter, five minutes matter, 10 minutes matter, 15 minutes matter. And, and you're still doing something the whole time during your late minutes. Probably on your way. But but it's it less a big deal to you driving. It shouldn't be. And I don't mean you. I mean me. I mean anybody. And um, I, I made a conscious effort to say today, anywhere I'm supposed to be at a certain time, I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm either a minute or two early or I'm there exactly on time. And maybe a minute or two late. Because when someone realizes that you do arrive on time as a pattern, they notice it. And, and, and I think they think something different about you. I think it speaks to your general reliability. And you could, you could separate it in your head if you're the person that's always late. Be like, so what? So what? But when you're the person waiting, especially if the person is late in various amounts of time. Like, they'll be 15 minutes late one day, 20. Then it'll be five minutes late. Then I might be on time one time. Maybe it'll be 15 minutes early. It, it puts you it puts the waiter in a position of, like, not knowing. like. Um, and it, it is a big deal. In, in, in the moment, it is a big deal. And it, what happens is it ends up being a big deal for the person that's on the way late. Traffic frustrates you more. You don't understand why that guy won't just go. The light turned. Why does it take you two seconds to get your foot off the brake and put it on the gas? You don't even know that guy exists in the world if you're five minutes early. How about you? Of course, I mean me. I mean everyone. Um, and so that's what I have to say about being on time. I mean, now I try to do it. It makes me feel better leaving a little bit earlier because there's always something that takes up a little bit more time than you think. Um, probably your phone. Okay, moving on. The other piece of happiness advice is that I've taken that has made me happier is uh, I leave things like I found them. And now you hear that all the time. You know, leave things the way you found them. But it's it's really not done as much as you would think. And I mean about small things. And then again, just like the time being on time. These are small things to the person who's doing them, but they're not small to the people who are affected by them. And it's simple things like, like uh, it. In my house, I always keep my bathroom door closed because if I, if the door is open, my dog will eat the toilet paper. So as a habit, we've get, we've gotten you know into the habit of, of keeping the door all the way closed. Now, somebody that's using our bathroom that's visiting. Um, probably doesn't know what the pattern is that we use. We could leave it. It it could just happen to be closed. Um, It could be something that we usually leave open. They don't know. But as a rule of thumb, it makes sense to leave it closed if you use my bathroom because that's the way you found the door. You can't go wrong that way. If the lights are on in the bathroom when you arrive in and then you get done doing your business and you leave, I would say leave the lights on. I wouldn't want to make the person who's usually used to having the lights on have to come in and then do something different than they normally do. Now they got to turn the light on. It seems small, I promise you. It seems small, but it's something that people notice. and Eventually, they start to realize that like their level of frustration around you doesn't grow as quickly as it does around people who don't recognize those small things. Take your shoes off. You walk in and you see a whole bunch of shoes sitting on the floor as you walk in take your shoes off. Let them tell you, don't take your shoes. You don't have to take your shoes off. except Unless you're at my mother's house, then you always have to take your shoes off. Um, even in, in mid-August on a, on a dry day, and you've only walked through a parking lot, but I don't want to dwell on that. Um, so, I, and I was thinking some other ones, like... Uh, where your seat is in the car, if you adjust the seat in the passenger seat in the car because you want to be closer or you want to lean up a little bit further, remember to put it back because you're leaving the other person a job. And and you're in a sense, you're the guest. And I, it seems like, I'm telling you, it seems like a small thing, but it will, those two things, being on time and leaving things the way you found them, will change the way a person thinks about you. And it will change how you feel about yourself. And I, I recently um, heard somebody mention, this must be a bigger thing than I've noticed it as, but it seems like it's becoming part of the zeitgeist. That's like uh, what what most people generally know, that's the zeitgeist. I I, I don't know. I, I was late to that word too, but it's kind of like the being on the pulse of, uh, of popular culture. Um, people are talking about shopping carts and like this little shopping cart test. Do you put your shopping cart back? People complain there's shopping carts all over the parking lot and you can't park in a spot you thought you could park in because there's a shopping cart in it. And you think to yourself, why don't people put these shopping carts back? My first question is, do I? And I actually do. I'm pretty proud of myself. I actually do. Um, Partly because I don't want to be seen not doing it. But that's the wrong reason. You know, that's like, like shoplifting is wrong. Not because you might get caught because you shouldn't shoplift and it's the same thing with cards if nobody's around i think it's still important to put the card back because that is my contribution to the group dynamic i don't want to get ahead of myself that's something i'm going to talk about later but before we do that i want to take a quick break and i will be back after this message Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 8. That message was brought to you by Robot Powering Down. Now, I want to talk about the nature of argument <clears throat> in this segment. Um, and I'm going to start just by saying this. There's a dragon in my garage. Now, this scenario was, as far as I know, was first um, put forth by Carl Sagan. all right, The famous uh, physicist. Astrophysicist. And... Um, and what he talks about is, I think, originally it came from a, a, a cosmo, cosmologist named Martin Reese. That's somebody who studies the cosmos, not somebody who puts makeup on you. That's a cosmetologist, a cosmologist. So, And he's also an astrophysicist. So, in other words, he's very smart. <clears throat> he understands things that I don't. But I do understand this. Carl Sagan used this scenario, that there, there's a dragon in my garage. In other words... Somebody's making a claim, and they want me to believe it. And First, let me say this. When arguing with people, which I don't do very much, because I thought about it, and I think one of the things that's made me happier is I don't care if other people believe what I believe. I don't care if people believe what I believe. If, if, if I believe it, it doesn't matter whether or not they do. And, and, and there's no reason for me to prove it to them because there can't possibly be proof otherwise it would not require me to believe as i mentioned in a previous episode <clears throat> um, so what when i'm when i am around arguments um usually and when i'm well, especially if i'm engaged in one usually it's somebody is trying to convince me to believe what they believe um, and just one more thing about not 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 caring if other people believe it, I believe. It's it's like um if I believe it, I, I wonder if people believe it when they try to convince other people they need to believe it too. Like somehow there's strength believing strength in numbers. I just don't think it works that way. Like if you can get ten people to believe it, now it's easier for you to believe it. I think that's dangerous actually um it can i think that can grow and get out of control no one ever really understands the underlying reason why they're believing in it so um usually somebody is i like to be in the position if i'm in an argument of someone trying to convince me of something because then i don't have to attack um i don't really even have to defend i can just ask questions that that require the person to clarify what they're saying and sometimes i am convinced I'll be like, oh my god, yeah, you're right. You know what? That is right. Um, but I try to attack it from that perspective because then all the onus is on them. And so that how does that relate to there being a dragon in my garage? Suppose somebody tells you there's a dragon in, in their garage, <clears throat> and they want you to believe it. Because it, it's akin to people saying, like, you know, there's aliens or or there's other dimensions, or they saw a ghost. Um, or they can, you know, have read people's minds, telekinesis, stuff that that obviously, it, at least to me, I mean, I don't want to sound stupid, but I don't think there's any proof for any of those things. So they require belief, but there's, a, there's, a, there's always times when people are trying to argue to you that something exists or something is a certain way. And, and so just for the moment, let's go along with this scenario. Remember, I'm giving credit to Carl Sagan and Martin Rees. I'm not saying this is mine. I'm just talking about it. But someone says there's a dragon in my garage. Of course, your first thought is, "No, there's not." You might use other words <laughs> than "No, there's not," but um, and they and they say, "Yeah, no, there is." And you're like, "All right, let me, let me, can I check it out? Can I see it?" And so you walk around to the front of the house and looking in the garage, and you don't see anything. And you go, "I, I don't see a dragon." And and the, your friend says, "Well, that's because it's invisible. It can make itself invisible." Okay, well, make it a, tell it tell it to appear so I can see it. Well, it doesn't like to do that. Oh, well, let's <clears throat> let's um sprinkle some sand. We'll cover cover the floor of the garage with sand, and we'll see its footprints walking around. And then we'll know. It's like we'll know because it can levitate. And so we'll, we'll just have it have it land. No, it doesn't feel like doing that. Okay, um, why don't we get heat sensors, and and we'll be able to detect the body heat of the dragon. No, the dragon's cool. Okay. Uh, how about how about does it breathe fire? Yeah. Uh, why don't we why don't we try to see if we can detect that? No, no, the fire's cool too. Oh. Um. What if I throw something in there at it, and and at least it'll bounce off before it hits the wall. No, no, it'll, it can it has the power to let things fly right through it. So you're like, oh, all right, dude. So I don't know. But I'm telling you, there's a dragon in there. All right, okay. I, I, I'm not going to fight with you on it, but I don't believe it. And the nature of this scenario is that is that if there's no way to show proof or evidence that something exists then the person is free to think that, right? Like they saw a UFO or whatever it is, and they want you to believe it. They're free to believe it, except you're free to claim anything else that requires that standard of evidence. So if he wants to impress me by saying he's got a dragon in his garage with all these qualities that prevent us from being able to know that it's there, I can say, well, okay, I have to leave. I'm going to walk my unicorn back home. What? You have a unicorn? Yeah, right here. So it devalues the the quality of the argument the person is making because, yes, I'll, I'll go along with you and say I believe it, except you have to believe everything I say. And that's where actually demonstrating evidence for something that you want to use to convince somebody else is so important because it, if you don't have it, your your argument is only as strong as any other crazy argument somebody else would make up. You can't say that you have a dragon in your garage, but I don't have a unicorn. Right? So the and the the phrase that Carl Sagan came up with, I think it was Carl Sagan to describe Martin Reese's um, studies was this absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, and vice versa. Evidence of absence, I mean absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And evidence of absence is not absence of evidence. So that's a whole bunch of blah blah, blah blah blah. So what does it mean? It means just because something can't be shown to not exist doesn't mean that it can't. And it goes two ways, but I want to talk about it this way, right? Like for for example, God. God's a good example. I can't show you proof for it. Right? Say you're you're an atheist or you know you're you're a, you're trying to attack my belief in God and you're saying you you mustn't believe in it because there's no proof for it. Right? There's a complete there's a complete absence of evidence in your God. It cannot be shown, it cannot be demonstrated, it cannot be you know put into evidence. And from my perspective, I recognize that, which is why I choose to believe it not claim that I know it, and um, the fact that I can't show evidence for it does not necessarily prove that it doesn't exist. It still may. It is still possible, right? There are many things that existed before we could demonstrate them, like electricity. It was always there, Right? We just didn't have any evidence. So if someone if you went back to the you know thirteen hundreds and tried to explain to somebody, I don't know why I chose the thirteen hundreds, probably because I don't know exactly when electricity was invented. But let's say before it was invented, and you went to somebody and said, There's this thing and, and you can like plug stuff in and and it, and you can have light and you can have sound and like you're nuts, show me it. Like, I, I can't. I don't I really don't really understand it. I don't know, but but I'm telling you, I, I think it exists. And they say no, it doesn't, because you can't prove it. And then all of a sudden, electricity got discovered, did not get invented. It got discovered, and and there's suddenly there's proof for it, and now it exists. So we, I always try to keep my mind in a position where I don't rule things out. Right? There may be a dragon in your garage. I'm I'm going to choose to not believe that one, because I think you're kind of nuts. But, um, and it's it, it's two things to remember from it. One is. If you have flimsy evidence for something and you want but you want someone to believe it anyway, your your claim ends up having very little value, value equal to any other claim with as little evidence. And the other point is just because something doesn't have proof for it, it can't be shown to be true, doesn't mean that it might not exist. And then when people always say you can't prove a negative, I don't know if they always understand what they mean when they say that but that that's the nature of that you can't prove to somebody that something doesn't exist or that somebody didn't do something Um, that comes up in court cases a lot Uh, and so when i when i when i'm arguing i guess when i'm getting back to how this has made me happier Understanding all of that has made it so that when I'm in arguments, I always place myself in the position of having an open mind and then allowing other people to argue to me, even on politics, on anything like that. I I don't need you to believe what I believe. But if you are so intent on getting other people to believe what you believe, and I don't mean you, the listener, I mean like other people, or maybe you at times, maybe me at times. um, Then it's the onus is on that person to convince the non-believer. And that so like for me when it comes to things like god for example, i don't uh i don't try to convince people of it. I don't need them to believe it. Or other things about myself, you know, i'm a good person and someone says that i'm not. I believe i am. And so i don't need to convince them that i am. I'm a worthy person. I don't need to convince them that i'm worthy. I believe it. So they can or can't, but Um, So anyway, that's what I have to say about that. I'm going to take um, another quick break, and then I will get to my last segment, which is my place in the dynamic right after this message. (coughs) Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, Episode 8. That message was brought to you by a cow doing a very good impression of a goat. Now, I want to talk about one person's effect on the group dynamic. I can, I, I can start by my own. My own effect. Do I think about my own effect on a group? It kind of does a little bit. Go back to the shopping cart scenario. Which people seem to be talking about a lot now. But um, I looked up the actual definition of the word consideration. And the, the main definition is, is to think carefully about something. But the second definition is to be um, sensitive and thoughtful toward others. So It means, in in the common parlance, it means to think about others as you're doing something. You didn't show any consideration for that person who just lost their mother by joking really loud at the funeral. Right? You weren't sensitive to your place in the group. Um, And I think one of the biggest barometers for how to measure a person's consideration is their driving. Now... I am trying to get better at it, but I am—I have a long way to go. I—I um, I, I find myself doing in-depth analysis of other people's psyche when I'm driving. Why? As I'm watching them driving, it? and um, it's—it is a very good um, indicator of a person's consideration. Now, let me say this first: consideration is not the same as nice, as good. I mean, it relates to it, but but there are plenty. That's why I, I sometimes I feel bad, a lot, actually, about getting upset at other people for lack of consideration because they're probably nice people. Being nice doesn't necessarily mean that you are considerate because to considerate means whether or not in the moment you're thinking of your effect on the group or I'm thinking of my effect on the group, anyone. And so um, here are some scenarios where when driving, I can kind of tell who is paying attention to their part in a group dynamic and who is not. I'll ask a few questions. First, do you always know when it's your turn as you approach a four-way stop sign intersection? There's cars that are coming, say, from maybe one or two or maybe all directions. And as you're approaching and then you complete your stop, do you then begin to think about whose turn it is? Or are you considering it as you approach the stop sign? Are you looking to see that person has already completed their stop? They probably just want to make sure I'm not just going to bust through the intersection. Uh, That person hasn't completed their stop. They're further away from the stop sign than me, so I'm probably going to complete my stop first. I'll let them know that, and then I'll go. I doubt, I doubt most people are thinking that. Now, some people, it's just intuitive. You, just, you can just feel it, like where to throw a football when somebody's running. You just kind of have an understanding of where to do it. But I don't think most people do. And I think I, – I, I don't know if it's that's, that people are just unaware that that's a possibility that you could do, that you could consider that. It would make people going through stop signs a lot easier or if it's that you do know it and you just don't do it you, you allow your mind to be on something else and you don't consider your impact on the group dynamic and it, it may it may convenience everyone because of your choice it may inconvenience everyone because of your choice and if you flip that around and you're the person maybe in another scenario where someone else isn't being considerate of that group dynamic and you get upset at them it's a little bit hypocritical so I guess, first, I recommend when you're approaching a four-way stop sign, pay attention to where the other cars are so you can know with confidence by the time you stop when it's your turn. Here's another one, and it's so bad with cell phones out there. It's so bad. Is, is recognizing the car behind you or the cars behind you when the light changes from red to green or when you're in the line and the car in front of you is already gone because it's green, how long does it take I know I spoke about this before as a pet peeve, but it is a very good example, especially when it's advanced greens, arrows, green arrows. right? Say you're on a road and there's two lanes going straight and there's that one lane on the left that turns left. It takes a while for that arrow to come back around again green if you don't catch it. It makes a a pretty significant difference in minutes in the amount of time it's going to take you to get to where you're going. And If you're the kind of person that doesn't leave early, and is on the road and has to have everything break your way, then it makes an even bigger difference. But I feel like there are people who, as they go through their day, and, and I guess in other things I'm probably like this because I do catch myself. I will do, I will catch myself. So I'm a little honking. I'll be like, man, I just did what I said I ate. But in general, I think I, I do it more often than not. In fact, almost all the time. And it is – I get – the feeling that whether or not other people openly tell me they appreciate it or not, I know I'm putting something good kind of out into the universe by making the flow of the group go a little bit easier. But on those advanced greens, especially if you're approaching one, if you're approaching the advanced green, it's been green for a little while, and there's someone behind you, are you aware that it's probably going to start turning yellow and then maybe turn red? And as you're going through it, if you're not aware of that, you may just take your sweet time. And the worst thing of all is when you you take your sweet time going through that green turn and yellow and then because you went slow the other person that you're the only one that makes it through and the person behind you has to stop all you had to do was go three miles an hour faster and the person behind you would have been able to go through the green too but you didn't consider it and i'm not yelling at you i'm taking i'm saying people in general because i am guilty of it but that that small amount of consideration can take away a lot of frustration. Um, another way is uh, is when people are driving in the passing lane. I don't know if they don't know it yet. You know, if they understand what a bucket list is, they should definitely understand that when you're in the left lane, you should only be there if you're going to the maximum speed people are going in that lane. Otherwise, move over. And some people just don't. They're just not at all aware of the car behind them. Here's another one: ATMs. When you go through the ATM, do you know if there's someone behind you? Do you care? Do you know if someone just showed up behind you? There was no one, and then now there's someone. And it takes about, I don't know, maybe two minutes, to, not even, maybe one minute to complete a bank transaction where you're just taking money out of your checking account or debit account or whatever. And and this happens at drive-through food drive throughs too. Once you're done, first of all, are you moving expeditiously? Are you are you getting your card out? Are you putting it? I mean, I don't mean rushing, but like, are you are you doing something in between? Do you pull up, put the car in park, and then like rifle through your purse for a piece of gum, and then take your time getting your card next, or do you park, finish a phone conversation quickly, and then grab your card, or you just get your card and put it in? And maybe I'm just like nuts, but I I actually am aware of that when I'm doing it, and so and then I put it in. I hit the buttons, and then the money comes out. I hit the button, the card comes out, the receipt comes out, and the first thing I do is put all of that stuff on the passenger seat. I put the car in drive, and I drive six feet up in the parking lot. And then I grab money, put it on my wall, grab my car, put it back. I probably could do it when I get home. I mean, it's probably not going to blow out the window, but believe it or not, sometimes I have that fear because I'm so OCD. But most of the time, I'll just put it in my wallet, put the receipt in my pocket or somewhere in my bag, and then, and then I'll continue to drive. That small thing can, at least for me, it can, it can put you off on a negative direction or, or, or keep you in a positive mood. I, I have a feeling people who are waiting for something always know when the person in front of them is taking too long. But do they know when they're taking too long? When they're the one in front. So that's just some food for thought because everything works smoother if people pay attention to their part in the dynamic. Because what goes around does come around. Reciprocity does exist, whether or not you know it. And and I try to my best to avoid that hypocritical feeling of of catching myself doing the thing that I know I hate when other people do it. And that's that right there is consideration. And you may very well be a nice person, but are you sensitive and thoughtful of others in the moment? It makes you feel, the person, as me, the person doing it, it makes me feel better. It makes me feel like, and not like I have the right to be mad at people who don't do it. No, I don't do it for that reason. Um, and I do sometimes get frustrated with people who don't, and I do sometimes judge them. I'm like, oh, you know what, that's probably the kind of person who's clueless. They're, they're, they're just barely making it through each day without Darwin targeting them. But there's all kinds of people in the world. And and people change. People grow. People learn lessons. But sometimes people are stuck in that spot where they just do not consider. Um, and I don't know. I, I To this day, I don't know if they know they're doing it and don't care or if they just don't know. And... And I guess, you know what, next time I see someone that I know well enough to ask them, I think I might just ask them. And uh, so that's my last piece of advice that has made me happier. With that, that is pretty much all that I had on my plate to talk about today before I get tired of talking, which is occurring as we speak, as I speak. And so I will say goodbye, and I will see you next time. This has been Sam Walking in the World, Episode 8. I'll see you next time, hopefully tomorrow.